Hey, welcome back. It's time for the Beacon Flash. The one show, the only show to shine a light on the future of enterprise wealth management. Brought to you by Beacon Strategies, LLC. From our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center, we bring you our guest, one of the most visionary thinkers regarding cybersecurity and technology in the wealth management business today, Aaron Spradlin. He's the Chief Information Officer for United Planners, where he's built out a next-gen cybersecurity framework to support the complex data security demands of advisors and their customers. So without further ado, let's throw the switch and throw it over to our host, Chip Kisford. Aaron, I am so happy to have you here. Welcome to the Beacon Flash podcast. Glad to be here, gentlemen. Hey, I remember the first time I met you probably 12 years ago maybe longer, a lobby of Dallas, Texas, and one of our early roundtables. And I remember you and I sat there probably for two hours talking about the state of the industry. And here we are again. So welcome to the show. You bet. You bet. That was Those were great roundtables, and I always look forward to them. They're amazing. Well, we're still doing them. So that's right. You'll be at our roundtable in Sonoma. So we're excited to see you there. That's right. So I want to jump right in. The area that you've been focusing on, obviously, as CIO for your firm, you've been focusing on the broader scope of providing information security and the tech stack for your firm. But one of the things I really want to kind of dive into is where are we these days relative to cybersecurity? So you and I have had a lot of conversations about this for years. And early on, you're one of the early thinkers and people that were talking about the challenges of risk management in financial services. And you were talking about it very broadly across many sectors of broker-dealers and large financial services firms. And at the time, we were also really saying no, that that really also exists in cybersecurity. In particular, there's a lot of risk management challenges. And so at the time, and even today, we're still struggling with this idea of a culture of compliance. And so where I believe the advancement has come is in the small wealth management offices, uh, traditionally investment advisory firms and the like, and BDs in particular, and a lot of NDIAs have made a lot of advancement, in my opinion, in a culture of compliance. Understanding it, especially because we are receiving the direct examinations from SEC and NASD. And so we're in this challenge of culture of compliance. Where I see that we've made very little progress and was always my initial greatest concern was in vendors. And I do not see any growth in vendors understanding their obligations to create a culture of compliance around cybersecurity and culture of compliance in general. And there's still very much a culture of innovation and low cost. Let me step in there real quick, Aaron. So for our listeners purpose, let's take a half a step back, right? And can you define culture of compliance? Yeah, I'm going to do my best. And somebody from the compliance department is going to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, culture of compliance really is what it sounds like. Really what it has to do is the, the controls, the training, and the overall culture that you build as a firm around the idea that everything you do is centered around 
a fundamental idea of, of compliance, right? So what is compliance in this case? It has to, for example, when it comes to cybersecurity and how you manage your code and protect your code. In particular, how do you do code changes? How do you do change management? So it's like everybody leans into that. They see it as a good part of their job and want to improve change management. It's where people buy in to the idea versus resist the idea. So the opposite of culture compliance would be what I typically run into, and even in my own culture, trying to change it. When you add a new control, they're like, well, this is the the business, what's a, where they use the business killing division, or, you know, this is, this is one more thing that's, you know, wasting our time or in my way. So for example, when you deal with senior engineers, and you say, listen, you have the keys to the kingdom, so we're going to lock you down more, Right. You as the most senior engineer have to be the most considerate of what you have access to. And you need to have the most keys you have to turn with other individuals because you have too much access. Mm-hmm. So where those people are bought in and everybody's bought in culturally. The second part of that answer is long time ago, I worked for one of the largest financial institutions. And luckily, I've worked for many of them. So it'll be hard for everybody to figure out which one it was. They actually brought in the idea of cowboy ethics, very popular book out there. The idea around cowboy ethics was how do we as a company and as a culture understand, for example, one of the principles you and I talked about last time, it's just because they ain't wrong, don't make it right. Right. This idea that just because the regulations don't specifically say you can't do it doesn't mean you can. That's a culture of compliance. Someone a firm that understands we're going to not shoot for the edges. We're going to shoot for what's in the best interest of the clients and the consumers we serve. That's what a culture of compliance looks like. So let's take that, right? I think you said that the wealth firms are doing an adequate job in this area. We're growing. We're doing better. How are the advisors doing? Well, again, from a culture of compliance is where we started this question. I believe they're asking the right questions. They're concerned they're doing the things to progress towards where we all need to be, which we know is not where we're at today. So suggesting where we need to be is not, but they're, they're engaged in the training. They're asking the questions. They're doing those. And those are the things that you see out of culture compliance, right? Is a, a progress towards better because, as you know, the threat is emerging and changing. So unless you have a constant change management culture around this, you're going to fall behind. So there's no... So they understand that it's not about some super cool technology that they're going to put on the machine and all the problems go away, right? Where yeah. vendors believe that. Vendors continually believe that they found some silver bullet and now they're good. Or, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something controversial here, but they're going to go out and get some fake SOC 2 audit and claim that that's enough. And, you know, because we all know the SOC 2 audits aren't really checking the right things. SOC audits are great, but not if they're not part of a culture because, you know, you can get around those. So, you know, it's interesting because I look at your, your shop, you do development, right. But you also partner with third-party vendors, right. And we talked a little bit about this culture of compliance. As we talk about this, where do you see us having to kind of tighten when we go out, right. And, and we're talking to enterprise wealth firms, we're seeing less and less, hey, we want to build this, right? And more and more, we want to partner. Okay, so we're going to we're gonna lease, we're going to rent, whatever you want to call it. So that comes with its own set of responsibilities in this concept of culture of compliance. You know, where do you see the need to tighten? As an industry, many years ago, I believe 
I was the loudest voice and was the strongest proponent of moving our industry towards no trust. Please define no trust. I was going to. So no trust is, at its best, known devices, known users, private networking, and putting the security as close to the data as possible. The ultimate goal of no trust is to bring the security and the trust all the way down who you trust, no trust, to the data. The idea that you would give me an admin user that by definition grants them access to the database would not be considered no trust. No trust at its core, though, in my opinion, is a fundamental change in culture of compliance that says we're going to move away from this idea that we are going to operate on the open internet and you know somehow we're not going to be the next firm attacked. We're not going to be subjugated to zero-day attacks. And that dream has been gone for a long time. So everybody has to understand that dream is gone. So then the question is, is how do we partner through private trust, private networking between vendors? How do we move the data off the open internet? How do we move towards uh, sharing the idea of known devices? So is there a technology out there like for example, in our case, we have used one of the technologies we use at Trata. We also use Kaseya. We use some other technologies to identify devices that are quote-unquote known devices. We then score those devices to understand if those devices are meaning minimum standards, not highest standard, but minimum standards before we even let them in. And then we identify the user, which is what most people do today, but then we do auth the user. And this is because you're letting somebody into the most private confidential data that you have, and especially with back office systems. So why aren't you identifying the device that they're on? Why are you allowing them to log in from anywhere? Why aren't you trusting and privatizing the network communications? Why aren't you doing all these things? Because it's not a technology problem anymore. It's a cultural problem. So what we did, Chip, is a long time ago, United Planners created one specific type of culture, which is we have a triangle on our website that says business solutions, solving problems, exceeding expectations. So the point was we created a culture in which anything that we did for our advisors wasn't just a cost of doing business compliance-wise, but we brought some solution innovation was beyond their expectations. How do you do that? Well, you give them a private network that increases their net performance, right? So now they're happy that they're, they're not using legacy VPN technology. Now they're using no-grade technology that is increasing their technology. You're providing network device monitoring to them in a way they can't do themselves. And I appreciative of the fact that you're letting them know that devices are protected. So you're bringing them some type of solution they want to lean into. So it's, it's about how you provide them a solution that creates business efficiencies for them, while at the same time operating in both your best interest, sure. understanding that that does actually still cost more money right, for everybody involved. So there is a culture in which you can innovate solve problems and do so exceed their expectations. And then that makes them want to stay with you and it allows us to market towards them. We wrote a white paper that's on our website, freenetplanners.com, that explains how we used cybersecurity as a way of recruiting. So we recruit on cybersecurity. Now, that's a culture. And that's how you create, like you joined us because of our cybersecurity. So the next time I come to them with an innovation like Sophos or an innovation like they lean into that because that's why they joined us. Right. Long answer, but that's, you know, if you want to put the ecosystem together, that's what it looks like. So, you know, it's interesting because obviously we've, we've discussed this ad nauseum at different times. Where do you see this going? So where do you see 
our industry evolving, you know, over the next 36 months. Boy, depending for your thoughts, right? I'll tell you what I, what I can tell the regulators are going to do. So the regulators have come out, the SEC and the FBI have really encouraged everybody to move no trust. So we're already there. We have a great, if anybody wants to search for United Planners on Yahoo, there's a great press release recently that we did around being the first firm to take all of our infrastructure off the open internet. Everybody needs to move that way. I don't think anybody in five years will be in business if their stuff, if they're leaving their API open to the open internet. I just, I think advisors will bow out. And so I can tell you, for example, all of our vendors we have for our home office today, not only are they having to use private networking with us for my vendors that I use, but I require my data to be off the open internet for them too. So I have back office technologies where I'm like, you segregate my data, do not commingle my data, do not expose the API to the open internet for my data. And then I want private networking for that. So, so if somebody's going to want to sell to most of the largest people that have money, broker dealers like myself and other large institutions, I think the pressure is coming to, to take the data off the open internet. What I can tell you is that I get a lot of pushback on something that costs them very little money to do private networking alone. Easy. There's a thousand choices. I prefer the use of Clever Dome, not only because I founded the company, but because I think it's more secure and faster. If they don't want to use that, we don't force them to use. Well, so, I, you know, I will say this about Cleverdome. It's a nice envelope. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a shared network. It's a shared solution. People can opt in, opt out. I'm not forcing anybody to use it. It's there as a solution, as a thought leader for where we can go. And as you saw in the recent press release, we're now a network of networks. Right. So we've added additional networks to the solution that we can do. So I do believe right, so that. There's your, 30 sec- there's your 30 yeah, seconds. Not, plug. I, don't, I don't want to tell anybody <laughs> on that. But I think the idea is that the point is, is that having to do VPN legacy L2 stuff is gone. Okay. So there is no trust networking. There is AWS solutions out there. There's all kinds of solutions. So it's easy to do. But the fact that they're like, well, I don't want to do it. You know, it's like, well, I mean, like, when did you become boss? I'm the client, right? It's that culture. So let's second of all, that they don't want to segregate my data. Like they think that co-mingling all the data in a single database and exposing that data in the API to the open internet using user-based authentication alone and not even bothering to have an IP locking on the data. I mean, even Salesforce, you know, requires 2FA today and all the major institutions allow you to do IP restriction. I mean, they don't even have IP restriction there. You know, so right. this is just like stuff you should have been in doing in the 19, you know, the 2000s. They don't even do IP restriction. They don't segregate data. And they're out there selling this technology to all these advisors based on low cost. All right. So, okay. I think we, that's dead. Okay. All right. You think that's, that's dead, you said? If you're asking me in the future, those firms will not be in business. They will be acquired, which is going on. And then the people who acquire them are going to get stuck with the cost of figuring that out. Right. So those firms that aren't doing dual authentication, IP restriction, managing known devices, and segmenting the data to give it to sum it up real quick, right? They're just going to lose clients. They're going to they're going to be great. They're going to lose their relevance and they're going to be exposed. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I got two more questions. And then given this is a, a 20 minute flash here, but the subject matter is awesome. So I'm having fun with it. So yeah. How do you see the information sharing structure changing within the wealth space? Because 
the amount of work that we're doing out there right now, where we're weaving in the client, we're weaving in the advisor, and ultimately we have to weave in the home office at the enterprise, right? So the client may be adding in account information, personal information, transferring to the advisor who they, hey, if they're in a 1099 environment, they're running their own environment per se, right? And then you got the broker dealer. So how does information sharing structure change within the wealth space? So I'll tell you what we're doing. I'll tell you what I see happening. Where it lands is a great question. At United Planners, for years, we created two con. Well, we have three concepts that most firms today are either implementing or have implemented or want to implement. One is an identity provider. Um, we've had that for almost 10 years. The second is the idea of a source factor record, a centralized open API back office system that can integrate with any of the different solutions that advisors use and share data two ways is the old, you know, SSO, two-way, you know, data sharing. So, you know, you have a back office system as a financial institution that is receiving data, whether it's through DocuSign innovation, integration, whether it's through, you know, a CRM innovation, integration, that you're doing two-way communication. And there's this back office system that is API-driven, that collects all this data, stores all this data, and becomes the source of accurate record. The third thing that we have that I believe not many other firms have uh, is we've also done something called object storage solutions, where we've been able to take any object in the cloud, any set of data, images, videos, everything that we collect as a firm, and store it in a central place, share it among multiple different systems, and define it and make it regulatory compliant. Okay, so... That is object storage solutions, for example, as a use case, allows us to get statements uh, that are sent to clients from uh, Orion. We're able to uh, store it in our system. They're able to define the object with their data. We're able to define the object with our data. And then the object can be shared in their system and our system without having to store it twice. Right. Okay. So, okay. So that is where we have to go as an industry. And we've been talking about it as an industry. So that technology exists. That technology can be regulatory compliant. And we call it object storage solutions. And it's one of the innovations that United Planners has that has differentiated us in the market. Um, we do it with Albridge statements. We do it with client letters. We've got it all. It's cool. Got it. Okay. But I have seen uh, some conversations with vendors trying to be that for the industry. I know of one vendor. As I would say Orion. I know Orion is working on a very big project and really thinking about all the acquisition they've done, how to integrate that into a single repository, and then how to bring vendors into that. So Silver Bullet 2.0. I know a lot of the vendors believe that they can be this for the industry. I think there's a lot of thinking and money going into that. Is it, can a vendor do this? Can a vendor be this for the industry? Because at one time, I think TDA might have been that. We know Schwab won't be that, and for many reasons that are justified. So Schwab's not going to do it. TDA is essentially gone as a culture and as a platform. I see, I know Oleg Tetesevich, sorry for saying your last name wrong, Oleg, um, with his platform. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And man, he's got a solution that he's kind of trying to lead thought leadership on. Um, I know quite a different vendors are trying to show up with technology to solve this. So Chip, long answer. And I try to point these people out. Uh, People are thinking about it and trying to do it and not bragging, but... The good news is it's, these people are not trying to do something impossible because we're already doing it. Right. So it's been done, but I haven't done it in a way that I can share it out to everybody else. 
So these other people are trying to find ways of doing it where they can share it out and become a platform. I think right. what Orion's doing in particular has a very good chance of being very successful. Great. I got one last question. What keeps you up at night? Well, what keeps me up right now are vendors. We don't have a great solution for vendor due diligence. We don't have a great solution for, because I'm 1099 advisors and they're independent, I can only go so far in solving problems that, you know, that keep me up at night. And so because of that, you know, I have to say yes to certain vendors that if I had my choice, I'd say no to. So a lot of vendors on my platform that prefer not be there, but I have to risk manage those. Those things keep me up at night, but nothing keeps me up at night that I don't, I don't have a solution for, right? That I'm working on. We have come up with a simplified questionnaire that we've been using and very successful with about, I think we're about 50 questions. I want to be 45 or 30 if I could be, that we send to vendors that ask simple questions that let us know which firms have a culture compliance sure. and which ones do not. What I'm looking for quickly is not your, they send me, they try to load me up paper. I don't, I don't really care. I got 30 questions I have to ask you. Right. And based on how you ask these questions, I'll know whether what I'm looking at is toilet paper <laughs> or whether what I'm looking at is justified and I can trust it. Do you have a full-time CIO? Right. Simple things like just no. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> right. And uh, when's the last time you've updated certain documents? So you even have certain documents. And when were they last updated? I don't even need to look at them. How right. often are you updating them? These things will tell you about the culture. The, so we've been very successful with that. We've been sharing it out to other firms, trying to share it out to you and get your thoughts because you're a thought leader in this area. But I do believe we can come up with, as an industry, a set of questions. I think we can make them public because they're not confidential answers. Right. And I think if we can take these questions, put them out there, share them, put them on a website, and then you can know who doesn't let us publish them and who does let us publish those. I think the best elixir to all this stuff is information, transparency, mm -hmm. right? So I think that's the solution. And I think us partnering with what you're doing and what other thought leaders are doing, uh, finding a way of taking this questionnaire that we've got, improving it, getting it public, and just using it as a way of having something that every firm should have on their website anyways. Who's your CIO? Right. You know, what are these forms? What are you updated? So I think it's one thing we're working on that helps me sleep a little better at night knowing we have a plan. The other thing that helps me sleep at night is the fact that we took our data off the open internet. So I used to not be able to sleep at all. But now knowing that you can't even log into my website from my back office that I'm responsible for primarily without being on a secure private network and on a trusted device, no hacking, no pinging my API. I am, I am on the dark web. I am off the open internet. I'll tell you what, Chip, I've been sleeping great. Good. Now I'm more worried about backups, recovery. <laughs> right. Of course. And you know, you, and you get to go hang out in Big Bear, right? Yeah. Now I get to go hang out in Big Bear. I wasn't in Big Bear six months ago. I'll tell you that. Um, That's right. That's yeah. Right. So, uh, but we're off and that has helped me sleep a lot better. We've got vendors that are off. We've got vendors that are leaning into us. The future is bright. Good. Good. Aaron, I love talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beacon Flash podcast. And you bet. It was awesome. Thanks. Like, always great to talk to you. Till next time.